So I think about leaky gut all the time because it's how we see new autoimmune diseases develop. It's how we see new food intolerances and food allergies develop. And alcohol just by itself can cause leaky gut, but the, you know, the biggest culprits are probably gluten for sure. And then medication like antibiotics, which, you know, a lot of industrial farming, there's a ton of antibiotics in meat. And then also like these pesticides, herbicides, organophosphates, glyphosate is a huge culprit. So if you're mixing alcohol with all this nasty stuff, then double whammy. Welcome to the HTW Podcast, where your hosts, Erica Huss and Zoe Secutis, founders of Blueprint Cleanse, the iconic juice brand that sparked a multi-billion dollar category. We bootstrapped, scaled, and sold, and now we're moving on. We stepped away from the juicer and into the sound studio to talk about this rapidly evolving world of wellness. We'll sit down with wellness experts and entrepreneurs for candid conversations and tales from the trenches, how they got their start, how they turned their ailments into ideas, and what they've learned along the way. And we'll bring you news, updates, and our unsolicited opinions on everything we discover in sickness and in wealth. Located at the intersection of wellness and business, H2W is your navigator on the bumpy highway to well. Good afternoon. Good good day. It's just midday now. Evening, Governor. Evening. Afternoon. Um, it is. It's it's about one o'clock. Yeah, it's tea time. It's tea time. It's actually mushroom coffee time for me. It's mushroom coffee and tea time. It's always mushroom coffee time for me. I love it so. Uh, I love it, but it doesn't love me. It doesn't love you. I know. I've got to get you... got to find you a decaf. Yes, please. Something. Yes, please. Okay. So... I I have a crush. <laughs> you have a lady crush? I have a little bit of it a lady crush. It happened so fast. I know. I know. Wow. That was like really at first sight. I, she literally like blew in the door. She's like, it's so windy. I was like, come in through my garbage entrance. <laughs> <laughs> we had... Um, I was like, come in. I love your jacket and docks. Yeah, it's a good jacket. Good I docks. mean, the dock she was a doc who was wearing Doc Martens. Yep. Listen, I wear Doc Martens all through high school with my uniform and I thought it was the hottest thing in the world. So yeah, it was love at first sight. I was like, hmm, kindred spirit. <laughs> she, she's my spirit animal. We, the animal of which we speak is Dr. Zandra Palma. Yeah, um, my, my, my crush. Who is actually my doctor. Okay. Um, so, you know, some patient doctor, uh, you know, I can't, I can't actually really express my lady crush in the same way that you can. No, because you, know? you don't want to shit where you eat. That would be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neither shitting nor eating with her, but that's fine. That's might might change in the future because sometimes stool is required from doctors. <laughs> that's true. I had a super hot doctor once that I had to give. Oh my gosh! Oh no! I had to give a stool sample too. Are you serious? I'm. I totally blocked this out. Yes, I went. No to, pun. I went to. Um, I came back from Lebanon, and I had the most insane like virus like whatever thing was exploding my system. And finally, I was back for a week and I was like, oh my God, I got this is not, this is horrible. And I went to this doctor and he, he was just like, so smoking hot <laughs> and was immediately like, well, the only way we're going to know what's going on is if uh, you poop in this cup. I was like, oh my God. And Did he pick up on the vibe? Like, do you think he was actually enjoying the torture that he was... I don't know. He was young. I was younger at the time. I mean, it was definitely like... I was so embarrassed. It's tricky. The hot I doctor was, is tricky. <laughs> it's so embarrassed. So this doctor that I saw, I had to give my stool sample too. Like I had to go home and then I had to come back and bring it. With your poo. Yeah. And I was like, here you go. <laughs> What are you doing later? I was like, my number's on there if you want to call me. <laughs> you know way more about me than I do about you. And now he's like, mm, I'm going to pass. <laughs> Swipe left on that one. Um, anyway, but Sandra is, she is a well of knowledge. She's a functional medicine doctor. And we talked about uh, our favorite subject with her, which is... Um, Booze and... On a Monday um, morning at 11. No, yeah. it was great. She, she, uh, so she practices functional medicine. She's out of Parsley Health, which is a great office here in New York City. I started going there over the summer. And we kind of wanted to just dig in and get a, a actual medical professional's point of view on the topic of 
drinking alcohol and all there is to know about the various ways that you can at least if you're going to do it and we're not saying everybody if if you're not a drinker then we're not suggesting you start right if you are a drinker then we are only trying to equip you with the tools that can make it a little bit better for you in terms of your health right i think a lot of people don't especially in the context of like a you know your doctor and medical office like people just don't want to talk about it yeah, and when well, everybody a- gets the question of like from their doctor like how often do you drink a week and right you know, it's like everyone kind of lies or they fudge it or, you know, maybe they don't. Um, maybe it's just me. But I think like <laughs> the subject, you know, whatever. Most people drink. And I think, you know, it's worth talking about the best way to go about it. So, Well, right. And I also think it needs to be said that like people who are wellness people are also... They're drinkers. Uh, some of them, not all of them. Wellness people. Yeah. But I'm just saying like people no, who are into wellness are also... It's okay. Like You have to give yourself permission to actually enjoy the things that you enjoy. Right. And and if there's a better way to do it, then that's kind of like... That was the whole point of this conversation. For sure. And I feel like it was really useful. I think we kind of... We got into some stuff. She broke things down really clearly and kind of in depth. I mean, I feel like... Yeah. It was pr- pretty like digestible though. I think we covered a lot. I mean, we don't go too deep. But it's answering all those questions that you have about, you know, the effects, which which liquor is best to drink for a hangover. We talk about the sugars. We talk about red versus white, you know, wine, obviously. I mean, we kind of covered it. Yeah, um, cover the spread. We, we go a little bit deeper than like, you know, beer beer before liquor, never been sicker. <laughs> Although we got into that too. But we don't go, we don't go so <laughs> deep uh, that we lose you. But so sit back, have a glass of wine or perhaps a mezcal. <laughs> Just make sure it's organic. It doesn't have any nasties. Make sure it's organic, natural, and uh, has been like grown under a full moon by the... <laughs> and harvested by virgins. <laughs> yes, I don't know. <laughs> All right, let's have it. Cheers. Cheers. So speaking of mezcal and all the gifts that it brings to you, mm-hmm. rewards one might say... Mm-hmm. And speaking of Xandra Palma. And speaking of Xandra Palma, we're going to do a little giveaway. In the name of Miss Gal and Xandra Palma. In the name of Healthy Imbibing. Yes. Um, and it's really exciting because we're going to do it with our friends at Gem and Bolt who make the sickest mezcal you've ever had. Because why? It's infused with Damiana. Damiana, the heart-opening magic elixir. Yes. It's an elevating herb. It really is like... It's insane. Um, so... Here's, Here's what we deal. want you to do. Yeah, it's very clear. It's very clear. Very simple. On our March 27th Instagram post, which is featuring this episode with Sandra Palma, you go on and you tag your three best drinking buddies. You know what? And you don't even have to be drinking alcohol. They could just be like people you like to drink tea with. You know, yeah. we're not coconut trying to... water, kombucha, yeah. whatever. Whatever. Tag your three drinking buddies. Tell them to follow us. Tell them to follow us Where? at HTW Podcast. Mm-hmm. And then what? And then you can win a goodie bag from Gem and Bolt. It's going to be like this wonderful, delicious package of Gem and Bolt goodies. They have like amazing swag, you guys. It's like they do... uh, They have like picnic blankets and just like amazing pieces of art. Like they're artists. The founders are artists. pottery, some beautiful sipping cups. Yeah, you get a pony. Delicious mezcal. You're not going to get a pony. Let's just be clear. We might give you a branded, a pony branded with Gem and Bolt, (laughs) (laughs) lightning bolt and a gem on its (laughs) head. Okay. But if you tag your drinking buddies and tell them to follow us at HW Podcast, and you can do this, you have a couple of weeks to do this. Yeah, because we're announcing the winner uh, at random. At random. We're going to do it when? On the very special day of? Cinco de Mayo. Obviously. May 5th. Yeah. So get it in. Go do it. Go tag your friends. Cheers. So welcome, Dr. Palma. Thank you. MD, functional nutrition, functional medicine. Yes. Functional medicine, MD. I come from a background of internal medicine and anesthesiology and then studied functional medicine for a year and have been practicing functional medicine ever since. I studied with the Crescent Institute for functional medicine. Yay. God, I was just talking about how the one profession that I could never do because it terrifies me is like anesthesiologist. Yeah. It's just you have to be so, yeah, cool. Exactly, you have to be like super accountable. Yeah, (laughs) super accountable. I think it's also because it's my biggest fear is going under. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so hats off to you. I had you in the OR. You wouldn't be afraid. Well, that's the other thing is like they're so nice. I find that anesthesiologists because they have to be right. 
You have to like really trust them. Yeah. Well, yeah. everything is I've riding I've known a couple them. who aren't nice. Really? I mean, for the most people, they're like, for the most part, they're probably the coolest like group of doctors. Really? Other than, other than functional medicine doctors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but they're all quirky and weird. They all, they're all like very sciencey. Yeah. Have their own, their own, like their own little space, but they're all cool for the most part. Yeah. yeah. How long did you do that? And then what made you kind of make the leap to functional? Only a year. And I wanted to, I just wanted to practice functional medicine probably since before I even knew what it was, before I knew there was like a name for it. I mean, I was reading about this stuff in college. So in med school, I didn't really know that there was like something called functional medicine that you could actually practice. It was only as I was studying anesthesiology and I, you know, kind of figured figured out that people are doing this and there's patients who want this done to them. Mm -hmm. And I spoke to the founder of Parsley Health, which I work for now, Robin. And that was the first conversation that kind of convinced me that there is a path here and you can do it. And it's okay to leave a very stable career for this, Mm -hmm. you know, other thing that was a gamble for me at the time. Why is it a gamble? It was a gamble for me at the time, just because leaving anesthesiology is a giant gamble because that's very stable. And I was leaving residency to go pay for another year of training on top of like all the med school debt on top of not making money in residency. So it was just like, it was just a gamble kind of like financially. And then I didn't know the extent to uh, which it's being practiced and the extent of the demand. Mm -hmm. Now I'm like aware that you can definitely do functional medicine and have, you know, patients for your lifetime and they will never run out. There's the, right. the demand is only growing. Right. But I I didn't know that at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so glad people are sort of wising up to it. Me too. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Yeah. But obviously there's still a, there has to be a nice conversation between the worlds of functional and sort of traditional because of surgery and, and yeah. things like, I mean, that those, those two worlds are always going to kind of overlap each other, but. And there will be more and more. I mean, eventually, you know, maybe even at Parsley, there will be, fellowships in functional medicine and then maybe fellowships that are recognized by the ACGME, which is the residency and, and fellowship kind of organization that that makes it really official. And I think eventually a lot of these practices will just be standard of care in normal medicine. Mm-hmm. A lot of the practices that we're doing now, it just takes time to kind of integrate them. Right. Yeah. There wasn't a name for entrepreneur, like entrepreneurism when I was in college either. Right. I mean, it yeah. just doesn't exist. It existed, now you can do it, but not course. in the same way. Yeah. 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 It wasn't like, oh, that's a path you can go, you right. can take. That was like, oh, you wind up doing your own thing. You must be an entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, thanks for coming on. This is exciting. We're going to talk about our favorite subject, <laughs> drinking. <laughs> <laughs> but we're hoping that you can shed some light on you know, some of the burning questions that we and others have around it. And also, I mean, I think, you know, we... Look, we don't make any apologies or statements around the fact that, like, we are wellness people who also like to imbibe. And I think that that is, you know, there's everybody wants to put somebody in a bucket and say, well, if you like to drink, then you can't be healthy. And if you're a healthy person, then you must not like to drink. And, you know, that's a very nice thing to say, or it's a very nice concept, but it's not realistic. It's not sustainable. And I don't think it's honest for the most part. Like, I think there are particularly not in New York. Right. So we are hoping that you can shed some light just on, you know, better ways to approach this. And we're not obviously getting into the area of like, if you have a problem with alcohol, because that's like a whole other thing. Of course. But you yourself have written um, some some articles and blog posts on this particular topic. And we know that you like to imbibe as well. So we just wanted to get your... You heard something about me? (laughs) (laughs) This is word on the street. Not Dr. Palma. After 7 p.m. Let's go. I do like Um, John Bolt. I do like mescalamores. I do like mescal in general. Yeah. yeah. Well, for for pleasure purposes, but for health purposes. Okay. As well as pleasure purposes. Okay. Well, let's let's get into it. Should we just start with mescal? Yeah. First of all, I think a lot of people don't even know what it is. So... Yeah, yes. mezcal is a kind of tequila and it comes from usually two regions, Oaxaca or Jalisco, originally invented in Oaxaca and like probably one of the oldest kinds of liquor because Oaxaca, I think, is maybe where alcohol distillation like really started way, 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 way back in history with mm-hmm. these natives who used to chew the sap of this tree 
and then basically spit and spit and spit into a bucket. And that spit would, yeah, it's gross. <laughs> <laughs> like that, and, that, and it, was that it like a fermentation? Alcohol, yeah, it would become this like honey alcohol because they'd be chewing this sappy honey stuff. Wow, um, and that was like the first alcohol fermentation. So, who was the first person to drink that? Is my question. <laughs> That's a like, good question. the first person to ever eat an oyster, <laughs> the first person to ever drink out of somebody's Everybody spit else's bucket, spit. and yeah. then discover these pleasures. <laughs> Yeah. Well, the chewing, the chewing and spitting it back out, and like making food that way to to have it ferment is like that's you know. Well, that's right, been going on a long saying, time. But I'm yeah. saying, like, how did they first yeah. discover this? Like, who was the one who was like, "Huh, I think if I try to it's eat that again, brave guy." It's always yeah. accidental, right? Yeah. yeah. It was probably a bet. It was like <laughs> probably a bet for some rocks. Yeah. I bet you one chicken, <laughs> some twigs. It was like Gary has to drink everybody's spit. <laughs> oh, Gary, <laughs> Gary the caveman. Yeah. <laughs> Gary always loses. (laughs) Okay, so Mezcal was born from spit. Is what we're saying. Born from spit, I guess, but but now it's the hearts of agave distilled, and it's just one of the lower sugar alcohols. So people are always surprised when I tell them in a visit that they can they should stick to vodka or tequila or mezcal as opposed to like wine, beer or like darker liquors. And people are shocked. I mean, they look at me, they're like, are you, is my doctor telling me to drink hard liquor? Because everybody's heard that like, you know, wine's okay. Wine's maybe even good for you. Um, Right. Or they speak in terms of like units. Like it's okay to have one drink of like whatever. Yeah. A night or twice a week or something like that. Right. Right. And I think people assume because alcohol, because spirits are a much higher volume of alcohol that like that's yeah. what's to be avoided and something like beer which is you know six percent or wine which is like 10 or 11 percent is much safer but obviously we'll get into like the reasons why those things might not actually yeah stack up but so you recommend clear spirits in general and that is because of sugar it's because of sugar sugar is one of the main ones and it's because of kind of like all the other nasty stuff which we can get into but products of distillation called congeners and darker liquors, which include anything from methanol, which is wood alcohol, which literally, if you drink enough of it, you'll go blind. Yeah. (laughs) To acetaldehyde, which is a breakdown product of alcohol that probably is part of what makes us hungover because our body breaks down alcohol to acetaldehyde. And some things that aren't unhealthy for you, like tannins. um, But I think a lot of the things that probably end up making you hungover. But sugar is the really main issue for me. That's why I recommend clear liquors. And then there are a lot of other kind of... We can talk about wine and and the nasty things that go into some wine and and the better kinds of wine. Wait, so talking about congeners. Congeners, yeah. Congeners. Uh (laughs) Congeners. They, isn't that, okay, so that's one thing that contributes to a hangover, right? Yeah. And so, but those are found, isn't that also in tequila? Uh, dark tequilas. Oh, okay, dark more. tequilas. Yeah. Okay. I think, I so think, it's about the, cl- the clear. Yeah. Okay. And I think, you know, clear alcohols aren't free of congeners, but there's just a lot. Right. Less. Okay. Okay. I'm like, don't take it away from me. (laughs) (laughs) But so, um, so you're saying like bourbon and scotch and anything that, Mm -hmm. everything that's brown, basically. Yeah, brandy. I mean, even wine has it. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They're natural products of fermentation. So, what is actually happening when we're consuming? Like, I mean, just obviously, we all know that it's like it's filtered through the liver, and that's where you're kind of getting tripped up with with um, your tolerance, I guess. Mm-hmm. But what's happening physiologically when we're consuming alcohol? Because we obviously know what's happening, you know, emotionally. Yeah. Um, and it makes you feel good and then it makes you feel really bad. And- yeah. So physiologically, um, a couple things going on. The effects in the brain start to take effect within a minute of drinking alcohol. And the effects in the brain, the, you know, the things we feel kind of emotionally have to do with a neurotransmitter called GABA. So GABA, the GABA neurotransmitter and the GABA receptor is what's called an inhibitory neurotransmitter. So it's responsible for putting us to sleep. It's responsible for, uh, you know, kind of this uh, increased openness and decreased maybe uh, frontal lobe activity that makes you like a little bit more fun when you're drinking. Inhibitions. Um, yeah. Yeah. So GABA... Uh, the GABA receptor is how all alcohol works. It's how all, how all benzodiazepines like Valium, Xanax, Clonopin, how all that class of drugs works. It's how all anesthetics that we have work. So you can kind of think of 
all of these effects as just like this inhibitory GABA effect and, and all of the drugs that I mentioned bind at the A receptor on the GABA thing. This is a little so too I'm taking GABA supplements, yeah. as we know. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't know you were taking GABA supplements. Well, Dr. Palma knows because she's the one who told me <laughs> yeah. to. Um, she put you on GABA? She put me on GABA. Yeah. Like GABA with some probably passionflower hops, like a little blend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So GABA supplements, uh, similar thing. We don't know if they actually get into the brain, but there are a lot of GABA receptors in the gut. So that may be responsible for the activity that like GABA supplements also kind of like chill you out and relax you. There is a GABA supplement that's an analog of GABA called Fenibut that I actually like using a lot with people that does go into the brain. It does bypass the blood-brain barrier. And it's a little bit different because it acts at the beta receptor instead of the alpha receptor, which very few drugs that we have do. We only have a couple, actually. Mm-hmm. Baclofen, which is an antispasmodic. Gamma hydroxybutyrate, which isn't really used in medicine. It's more of a street drug. Okay, wait. So what is the goal? It's used in medicine sometimes. <laughs> what, is the, what is the goal with the GABA supplements? Yeah. Well, so it just, that was going to be my question was I'm taking them um, because what we've talked about in my sort of supplement protocol is I really wanted to focus on sleep and general kind of like mood balance and um, calm, I yeah. guess. Yeah. But so even which when I've, GABA binds in the GI tract, um, it can help sleep calm, anxiety, all those mm-hmm. things. Okay. And yeah. I like it. Yeah. But now I'm like, well, should I just be tipping back some clear spirits instead <laughs> or in addition? Or am I doing like double duty if I'm, you know, having my clear spirits? Along so there's with a my- difference between doing something like alcohol or a benzodiazepine or even an anesthetic that uh, binds the GABA receptor and taking straight GABA, which is replacing the natural neurotransmitter that we make. Right. Okay. So we make GABA in our bodies. We don't make alcohol in our bodies. That's true. Yeah. Some well, of us might. <laughs> <laughs> While I was breastfeeding, <laughs> I, I did. You were, you were producing some alcohol. I, I did produce some alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so how come it's not so, uh, how, how come it's not more well known? Like I don't see it on the supplements aisle. Is it? It's not GABA? Pers- oh, yeah. You'll find it in a grocery really? store. Really? I guess yeah. it's just not on my radar. Yeah. Now yeah, that you've, now that we've talked about it, you'll see it. Yeah. So on the note of, so your goal was trying to relax and trying to calm down, which I think is thumbs up. Mm-hmm. Good. Good goal. What are you trying to say? <laughs> trying to calm the fuck down. Besties. Um, on, okay, so, and we could just like zigzag here, but on the sleep front, when we're drinking, can we talk a little bit about that? Because yes. I think the number one, not, not the number one reason, but there was a moment when... The reason that I would like have my like evening wine or cocktail or whatever it was, usually wine, is because I think in the back of my brain, I actually had anxiety about being able to fall asleep. Mm -hmm. And so to me, that was like, it was just my way to like transition into this like, okay, you get ready to go to sleep. Like, this is how I'm going to like tell my brain to start, you know, thinking about going to bed. And so I kind of got on this like horse where I was like, oh, just drink wine, whatever. But then it was like too close the time that I actually fell asleep and then I would, you know, and then I end up waking up at like three in the morning. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the problem. That's what exactly is that? what it does. Yeah. yeah. It helps you fall asleep, but it reduces the phase of the most restful sleep where a body actually does the repair, you know, the, the actual recharging, the actual cellular repair of sleep. It reduces that phase of sleep and it also causes you, it causes some early waking for, for I mean, for everybody. me, it's like, it's four o'clock on the dot, every time I drank wine, it's like I've actually figured out the math. Wine, but wine before nine. That's that's my yeah. rule. But it doesn't matter if I drink it one minute after nine o'clock, or like sometimes even a little bit earlier. But any point after a certain point in the evening, I wake up at four. It doesn't matter if I've gone to sleep at ten or at one. It's four a.m. on the dot. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's really common. And and as we age, we just get less less effective at metabolizing alcohol. So it's right. probably something that people start to notice after maybe 30. Thanks. Yeah. So, you know, last year was really rough for me. Wow. Okay. So as we get older, it's harder to metabolize alcohol. Yeah. That's why my mom has like one sip of wine. She's like, I'm giraffe. And then, so I should just start drinking more now then, I guess. Yeah, well, de- I definitely front load it. Just front load get it. Get ahead yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Get ahead of it. <laughs> I mean, okay. Well, that helped. You know, I would say just in general, like consuming anything, like the three hours before you go to bed yeah. should just be like, stop everything. Yeah. It's the only way for me to get like a good night's rest. Like, 
Yeah. Food, alcohol, anything. It's amazing if you can stop food three hours before you sleep. I know. I it's mean, it's impossible rare. in New York because we it's all get impossible. home from work at eight. We do. And then, you know. Okay, but so here's what I've tried to do. And this is, okay, for the one the people who are, who have children, there's one advantage of being forced to eat at like 630. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you, well, it's kind of hard because then you want to eat again because you're hungry like two hours later because mm-hmm. you've eaten like, Goldfish, you know, mac and cheese. <laughs> you mean yeah. basically like your kids' leftovers. And you're like, oh, I guess I'm calling that dinner. And then, but if you can actually like turn that into a proper meal for yourself, then you can just call it call it a night. And then your last meal is at like seven o'clock, 6.30. That's a great idea. Anyway. I mean, that's what I've been, yeah. the principle that's what of it trying makes to do. sense. But yeah, but, but it is hard. It's but hard. then you have to drink the wine that your kids are drinking. And I know, I know. But you know what? They've been better at finishing stuff lately. So I'm just like, I'm glad you think we have wine to waste. <laughs> like, drink was, up, children. I was talking to my friend in preparation for this podcast. I figured I should learn more about the winemaking process. And so I called my friend, Annie Repigal, who literally like traveled around the world to like all these different vineyards. So she knows everything about like biodynamic versus natural versus organic. So she totally schooled me on that. But she was telling me about exactly how nasty like two buck chuck and these like really cheap mm. Trader Joe's All right, wines let's hear how And nasty. I just had flashbacks to college of how much, how much of this I've put in my body. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Barefoot or what is it? Barefoot um, is one. I barefoot. Mean, you know, not to knock these brands. Whatever and that. Apparently happy, like some even one. kind of like more expensive ones are really nasty. Like Whispering Angel I heard is like. Oh yeah. So like what are the nasties? Let's talk about it. So the nasties, I mean, I think there's nasties on the front end and nasties on the back end. So the front end, you know, in the winery, you're talking about herbicides, pesticides, added sugar is a huge one. You're talking about using commercial yeast instead of just the ambient yeast that falls out of the air that, you know, was like the original kind of way of winemaking. And on the back end, you're talking about just additives. There's like up to 60 additives that can be added from, you know, glycerin to chemical names that I can't pronounce Mm -hmm. that are stabilizing stabilizers. Yeah. Yeah. And it's for consistency, right? Like if you buy a bottle of wine, with a name on it that's a brand you like, you probably kind of know how it's going to taste. And to have that sort of consistency from year to year, bottle to bottle, you know, I think there's a couple artificial things you actually have to do. Yeah, it's not really natural, yeah. Yeah, wine doesn't, you know, natural fermentation doesn't really act that way. You're going to have differences from year to year and bottle to bottle. But I kind of, you know, figured out the difference between all these things because I've recommended organic or biodynamic or natural without really knowing the subtleties. But organic uh, sort of begins in the winery. So organic wine will have no synthetic fertilizer. It won't have herbicides. It won't have pesticides. And they still can use commercial yeast or firming agents, but those yeasts and firming agents will be organic. And in the U.S., not necessarily elsewhere in the old world, but in the U.S., organic wine means that there will be no added sulfites. So that's good for people who are sensitive to sulfites. Mm -hmm. And sulfites are often what contributes to headaches and hangovers, right? And that kind of inflammation in your sinuses. Yeah, sulfites can... So, you know, there are are few people who actually have a serious sulfite uh, sensitivity or a problem handling sulfite. I, since I get to do all this testing on myself, which is my favorite thing about practicing (laughs) functional medicine, um, because I'm a giant self-experimenter and geek. Um, So I know that I have this mutation, a genetic mutation in a pathway called CBS. So I know I'm not as efficient as other people in in handling sulfites. Probably my mom has it too, right? Because she can't drink a glass of wine without getting a migraine. And for me and for a lot of people with sulfite issues, it manifests in kind of allergic symptoms. So people will get like sneezy, runny nose, asthma. If you have like sulfate sensitive asthma, people get hives, but really anything that's a histamine response. So you can even get GI distress, headaches. So sulfites can contribute for this subset of people. A lot of people just think that they have a problem with sulfites because they react to wine, but they're probably reacting to the sugar and some other nasty right. stuff. And sulfites, if you eat dried fruit, oh, yes. dried fruit might have 20 times sulfites of a glass yeah. of wine. I actually remember vividly once a long time ago, I was like in high school and I loved dried apricots. Mm-hmm. And we used to get them from like the local deli. You know, I didn't know at that time the difference between one that had stuff in it versus not. I just loved those like orange, beautiful, like dried apricots. Yeah. Obviously now I know you go for the brown ones because there's nothing added to them. Yeah. But they stay orange because they add sulfites. And mm-hmm. I had like, I've never had asthma in my life. 
But I remember I ate like a handful of them one day I came home from school and I like immediately, like I couldn't breathe. I was like, yeah. what is that? And I looked at the label and it did say it contained sulfites and I didn't know what that was at the time. And Google didn't exist at the time, but I remember kind of filing that away. Like I'm not eating those anymore. And that's, I mean, they still use those in most commercial dried fruits. Yeah. I mean, it just preserves, which is the preserves. same reason they use it in wine. Exactly. And we wouldn't even be able to have aged wine without sulfites, right? Mm -hmm. If a wine doesn't have sulfites in it, you should probably drink it within six months of buying it. You should probably buy it from somewhere close to where it came from. And you should definitely drink it the same day as opening it. Oh, interesting. Because it's just going to go off. It's not going to age yeah. well. Yeah. And I have a trick for handling sulfites. Oh. For me and for you know other people who do have like mutations in this genetic pathway where you, where you handle sulfur you can take a certain type of vitamin B12 called hydroxocobalamin or hydroxyb12. Um, okay. So you can like buy little tablets that dissolve under your tongue and like take one before you drink wine. Okay. And it just sort of like yeah. buffers the effect of... Yeah. It pushes this biochemical process a little bit harder. This mm. thing that I don't do as, as efficiently as maybe other right. people. Interesting. Interesting. That sounds like a fun experiment. Okay, B12. Yeah. So wait, did you test for this or did you just say like, oh, I, I did genetic testing for okay, mine. You did. But you know, some people probably kind of just know. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's easy to do genetic testing. Yeah. You just have to have like a doctor who knows how to interpret the information. It won't necessarily say on like a 23andMe report. But you can, you know. I still have my 23 and me sitting on my desk for like mm, a year now because apparently I can't go 30 minutes without having water or like a food. It's like you have to kind of fast in the right. morning to do it. <laughs> yeah. So in a year, I have Well, maybe been... that's genetic, but you wouldn't know because you can't do the test. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah, so. And I but, also know that, like, for example, we've uh, recently been introduced to a company called Dry Farm Wines and I really mm -hmm. like what they're kind of all about. They're big into like the no added sugars. They make some of their wines. They're a natural wine. Okay, yes. So yeah. That was what I was going to ask. It's so, like the difference between natural and organic and biodynamic. Exactly. So so natural. So biodynamic is, is an interesting one because it actually has to do with lunar cycles and lunar timing. So it's, it's a very like holistic view of wine. And the idea is that they're trying to kind of like balance the resonance of the the literal universe, the stars, the earth, the vine, wow. the man, as it all relates to each other. So they they plant and they base the timing and the health of the vine on lunar cycles. So there's a whole biodynamic calendar. There will also be like no chemicals or manufactured additions. So this is the stuff we talk about like on the back end of wine. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's really uh, meant to just Align, align viticulture with lunar cycles more wow. than anything. Yeah. And, and these wines can contain sulfites. Mm -hmm. So in the US, biodynamic doesn't mean that it won't have added sulfites. Well, and I've also noticed that there are some, like even some in the dry farm portfolio, they, they do contain sulfites, but they're lower. Mm -hmm. So there's also, I guess, a spectrum of how much and is added. naturally occurring sulfites. Okay. Yeah. So dry farm does natural wines. Mm -hmm. I, th mm -hmm. I think. I think that's their thing. Um, and I think that's the healthiest option because it's just natural wines are the least manipulated of any of the wines. So it's really just fermented grape grape juice. There's nothing added. There's nothing taken away. So they don't add yeast or sulfites. They don't add commercial yeast, right? right? They let the ambient yeast that just kind of falls naturally out of the air ferment the wine. The sulfites that are in there occur naturally. There's no fining. There's no filtration. So fining, uh, fining is basically to take out, you know, the the kind of like clumpy stuff that you see mm -hmm. at the bottom Sediment, of maybe a natural yeah. wine. Uh -huh. So you can throw egg whites in the vat or gelatin or something that'll kind of bind to the sediment. Mm. Interesting. Um, yeah. And it takes out the hazes, the deposits, and then you just take out the clumps of whatever's in there. Oh my gosh. So some wine might not be vegan. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and there is, is vegan wine. Oh my God. Yeah. A lot of wine's not vegan, but there is like labeled vegan wine. <sighs> yeah. My brain just exploded. Yeah. You never know. No. There's eggs lurking around the corner everywhere and, <laughs> and bee products. Yeah. And eggs are a really interesting one because a lot of people are sensitive to eggs yeah. these days. Mm -hmm. What are the symptoms if you're sensitive to eggs? Sorry. I'm just going to like go off for a minute because I've been like wondering if because I eat eggs like every friggin' morning. Yeah. Um, so there's a difference between an allergy and a sensitivity. Yeah. So an allergy, what we think of as a typical allergy, it could be anything on a spectrum from it's usually an immediate reaction and it could be anything on a spectrum from you know you get sneezy to you've heard of like people with peanuts have like anaphylactic mm -hmm. shock right they their blood pressure drops their airway closes off it's a it's a medical emergency 
And intolerance is a little different. It usually, you know, won't kill you like anaphylactic shock, um, but it, it will cause actually a higher amount of inflammation and more gut inflammation. And you have to worry about it more if you're managing long-term long-term health issues like anything autoimmune, mm-hmm. a thyroid issue, hormone issues. An intolerance will hurt you more subtly, but more systemically across the board. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people, mostly what I see to eggs is intolerance. This can manifest like a, a lot of eczema is from mm-hmm. egg intolerance, from egg-sensitive people. And, you know, eggs that are not organic and not pasture-raised in the U.S. are probably coming from chickens who are fed on oh, grain that disgusting. has glyphosate mm. sprayed on yeah. it and other oh, herbicides. Started and started on glyphosate. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. But going back to the wine topics too. No, but that's a, that's a fair point when you're thinking about um, grapes too. Whether I mean, if you're thinking about a non-organic wine, chances are those grapes and vines and crops have been sprayed with all sorts of yeah. glyphosates and things like that, which again, I mean, if people haven't learned at this point, then we're here to remind you that these are absolutely toxic. Nasties. Terrible yeah. nasties yeah. that you need to avoid. Yeah. Organophosphates are no joke. And um, I talk about leaky gut a lot because... I'm seeing every day in my practice this epidemic of autoimmune disease. And we know autoimmune disease is a sequelae of this process called leaky gut, which is where the gut border literally becomes too permeable. So some some things are supposed to pass through the gut border and into the body, uh, but not all things Mm -hmm. and definitely not big things. So when those natural gated holes in the gut become stuck open, big things and things that your body's not just not supposed to see pass through into the lining of the gut. And the lining of the gut right next to that barrier is filled with immune tissue. 70% of the immune tissue in our body sits right there. So our immune system becomes activated. It sees things as it's not supposed to see. It thinks it's under attack. And it starts to attack your own tissues because maybe something that's passing through looks like your thyroid or looks like your pancreas. So So I think about leaky gut all the time because it's how we see new autoimmune diseases develop. It's how we see new food intolerances and food allergies develop. And alcohol just by itself can cause leaky gut, but the, you know, the biggest culprits are probably gluten for sure. Mm -hmm. And then medication like antibiotics, which, you know, a lot of industrial farming, there's a ton of antibiotics in meat. And then also like these pesticides, herbicides, organophosphates, glyphosate is a huge culprit. So, so if you're if you mixing alcohol with all this nasty right. stuff, then yeah, I mean, yeah. Is, and how thick is the lining? Isn't it like a cell? I mean, it's, it's like a cell. It's thick. like one single yeah. cell thick. Yes. I mean, that is some thin. It's a thin, like gut lining there. So. Yeah, so, so it can get real lightly, like, real knit together by like little stitches. So those stitches can break apart really easily. Right, like gluten breaks the stitches. A bunch of things break the stitches. Well, okay. So let's talk about gluten and alcohol then, because yeah. it definitely is there. And people, I think Tito's was probably the first vodka that came like kind of you know led with it, waving the gluten free flag, and yeah. it's made with corn. Um, which is naturally gluten-free. Unfortunately, uh-huh. I think it is made with GMO corn. So then you kind of go, yeah. you backpedal a little bit. But gluten and alcohol, I mean, how does that, like how how big of a factor is that? Yeah, I think in distilled alcohols, uh, there's not that much gluten, but there can be no guarantee that there's no gluten. So for people with, you know, just a gluten sensitivity, they might do okay. For somebody with celiac disease, I mean, I know some of my patients who can have, you know, just a a little bit of secret gluten that somehow comes into their life and they are messed up for a week. Yeah. Yeah. So for those people, probably a bigger deal. Um, Beers, obviously, has a heavy load of gluten. Yeah. Yeah. But so like certain vodkas, for example, you have to understand the grain that it's made from because some are made from wheat, some are made from corn um, and potato. But then... but there are spirits that are always going to be gluten-free, which is like the tequilas and mezcals, right? Yeah, because they're not made of grain. I don't like grain for anybody, yeah. really. I don't know how much of the things I don't like about grain actually make it into alcohol, but it's nice that tequila and mezcal are are not made from grain at all. And I'm trying to find a good potato vodka. Yeah. There any out there. Uh, well, so going back to wine for just a second, red versus white, is there... There, I feel like there are merits and arguments around both. Yeah, there are arguments around. Oh, I actually haven't heard, heard good arguments for white wine. Okay. Um, but I'll but break people, down. I think people think, oh, white wine, because it's not heavy and dark. It's not like... Sugary. Yeah, the perception yeah. is that it's not as sugary. 
That, uh, I think I think the sugar issue, like it, it really more depends on the wine. They're like high sugar red wines and, high, and low sugar red wines and, and same for white wine. I think people have always thought red wine is healthier because of the amount of Reverse. beneficial, naturally occurring polyphenols like resveratrol. I think maybe the benefit of the amount of resveratrol in wine was overstated because of this thing called the French paradox, which I'll describe. And we'll, we'll mm-hmm. maybe talk about like the French why it's, paradox. Yeah, why the French paradox is like not such a paradox. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in all the studies, there have been very few epidemiological studies that actually look at red wine versus white wine. And the ones that have, have been later criticized by having all these confounding variables. Like, you know, uh, one study found a difference in colon cancer rates between red wine and white wine, but then they realized that the white wine people were just smoking more. So hard to... Yeah. Really? Why were the white wine people... That was just like a very small study, obviously. Probably. Yeah. yeah. Probably just and didn't if have a lot of And if French power. study, then they're, they're like, all fucking smoking. <laughs> 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 no, you probably don't want to use a bunch of French people as your control group when you're trying to like <laughs> isolate out some of the pleasures and vices. That and... may be another problem with the French paradox. <laughs> <laughs> That's the paradox. Yeah. You're like, they're also having sex like four times a day. <laughs> so they're just healthier and happier and then they can tolerate all this wine and cigarettes. Yeah. And they don't work, so. Yeah. How many stereotypes can we say about the French in the space of five minutes? Let's Should we try play a game? And I do. <laughs> I, I love the French, so I really am not, you know. So, okay, so red versus white. I know I've heard that a bunch too. I actually heard that red was lower in sugar than white. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think maybe it, maybe the lowest sugar wines are red wines. Like Pinot Noirs tend to be lower sugar than most other, mm-hmm. even other reds. And how about champagne? Champagne, I think is like, well, if you, again, not it's dry versus, sugar, but just how you, how you metabolize it. I think it's the same sort of thing. It depends on the process. It depends on if it's organic, if there's things added on the back end or natural. Uh, and it depends on the amount of sugar, right? There are very dry champagnes and there are uh, really sweet mm-hmm. sparkling wines out there. Oh, but I know a fun tip about champagne and other things carbonated. Uh, you, Zoe. Thank you. <laughs> I learned this in my tips training when I was a bartender. Oh, <laughs> <Whoa>. <laughs> so, um, so carbonation gets you drunker faster. Yes. Um, because the bubbles sort of carry the enters your bloodstream faster because the, of the bubbles. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, so that's kind of fun. Yeah, but so and For, champagne is lower in alcohol, but because of the carbonation, you're actually getting maybe it's hitting you faster. faster. And then the same thing if you mix it with like club soda. So if right. you drink like a vodka and soda or whatever, I right. think you're going to get drunker faster. Right. Yeah. Oh, I mean, tips training. You're welcome. I'm taking these tips. (laughs) (laughs) Taking these tips home tonight. And then there's another one I learned in tips training. Okay. This is just about how quickly you're going to get drunk. How you're going to get people drunk and tipping you is basically... No, it was an acronym for something that I don't oh, remember. I thought it was actually like how to get better, better tips. No, it was, an ac- <laughs> uh, it was basically it was um, like short was skirt like, and carbonated yeah. boots. No, it was something that the bar had to do as like a liability okay. for insurance purposes. They, they had to educate their bartenders on how to spot the most drunk person at the bar mm-hmm. to get ahead of it. Mm-hmm. And so it was like, okay, who's going to get drunker faster? It's like, okay, well, if you're drinking straight vodka and vodka and soda, you might be getting drunker faster if you're drinking the vodka and soda. Or if you're sitting in Zoe's section. <laughs> or if you're being overserved by me. And then um, the other the other one was, you know, I think sometimes we we uh, see these like <clears throat> big guys who have like maybe a lot of fat or whatever. And then you see like a guy next to him who's just like all muscle. If they drink the same amount, the the fat, guy's the fat gonna guy drunker. is going to get drunker. Fat, he could be twice the size of the skinny guy. But if the skinny guy has more muscle than the fat guy, Fat guy is going to get right. drunker Well, that's faster. why women get drunk because, faster is because we have more fat on our bodies. I think it's because we have less uh, less of the enzyme that metabolizes. Oh, fine. If you want to be all right, <laughs> doctory okay. about so it. There's, my, there's my top line. <laughs> now let's delve into why that is. <laughs> so I'm going to start, I'm going to throw out really scientific things like beer before liquor. Xander, <laughs> You'll go. never be sick. <laughs> <laughs> like now let's talk about the science behind it. Yeah. Um, it may be because of the leaky gut issue. It may be the this is conjecture. Okay. I'm just like imagining the pathophysiology of what's going on once this stuff enters your gut. So beer, again, you're, you have a bunch of gluten. You're taking in this load of gluten, probably causing, you know, uh, a short, acute kind of like leaky gut picture on a small level. And then that means everything else you put in your body can be seen more by 
the immune system. The immune system is seeing what it's not supposed to see. Seeing what it's not supposed to see. So if it's it's congeners, maybe they're getting through more. And that actually makes sense because my top hangover cure is bone broth. I find that... Really? Yeah, if I drink bone broth the next day and bone broth, that's why bone broth is so beneficial, right? It has collagen and gelatin, which coat the gut lining. And, you know... Is there anything it's not good for? this process. No, there's like literally nothing. Yeah. I mean, old grandmothers knew that it was good for colds. They were just right. boiling whole chickens and giving I've it never to their tried kids. it for a hangover though. That's amazing. A good tip. It's amazing for a hangover. Oh, I wish I knew that yesterday. Sick, you know, because because <laughs> whatever is left in your GI tract that's that's going to like keep absorbing and making you sicker the next day. I think then you've got a little barrier against it when you drink the bone broth. Oh, that's really that's a great tip. Um, yeah. And yes, again, bone broth is just good for anything. But so speaking of hangover cures, I know it's like the myth, or is it a myth? like the hair of the dog. And if you're so hungover, if you have just like a small amount of alcohol. Yeah, I think that will... has to do with alcohol withdrawal. Yeah. That like a lot of... Right, you're cushioning A lot of hangovers are just a little bit of withdrawal. <laughs> Hence yeah, the shakes. so horrible. Yeah, shakes or alcohol withdrawal for sure. Yeah. yeah. And even if you, you, you know, you don't have to be an alcoholic to have some amount of withdrawal, right? right? People notice this with other medications or drugs that... Uh, agonize at the GABA receptor so you can have a withdrawal from a fast-acting benzodiazepine when it comes off just because you're not getting, you were having right. that GABA effect and suddenly it's not there. Mm-hmm. So what if you take GABA supplements? Again, I know we're t- addressing that. Different. We should try that. Okay. Yeah. I've got all these experiments <laughs> to conduct yeah. <laughs> on the topic of the hangover um, you know, cures. Uh, what's your position on like loading up on B vitamins, whether it's like before you drink or do they do anything the next day? I mean, whether it's like emergency or the tablets, the effervescence, that kind of thing. On the electrolyte drinks. Yeah. 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 I think vitamin C can be helpful because of its antioxidant potential and because it helps the liver kind of metabolize. Um, I think B vitamins, you need, you need B complex vitamins for all sorts of metabolic function all over the body and all sorts of cellular function, the liver included. Um, I don't think having more B vitamins than you need is going to help anything unless you maybe have this genetic variation, again, where you're bad at methylating. I think a lot of people have heard of MTHFR Mm -hmm. and you need, you have higher requirements for B12, folate, B6. Some people have higher requirements for B2. Again, this is all dependent on your specific genetic mutations, not mutations. They're variations called SNPs. Very, very common. It's much Um, friendlier. Yeah. (laughs) Single nucleotide polymorphisms or SNPs. So depending on if you have one of these, and a lot of people do, probably like, you know, 50% of the population, definitely 30% of Europeans have some MTHFR. Yeah. I was tested uh, for that. I feel like you usually yeah. find that when you're pregnant or trying to get pregnant. Yeah. A lot for women anyway. Habit. And then, you know, you don't do, you don't perform some metabolism functions of the liver as effectively, but you can push them forward with specific B vitamins, depending on your specific SNP. Um, so it might help to have a little bit extra because you're just giving yourself that insurance. Mm-hmm. But I think having way more than you need is not going to help you. Okay. You know? And then what about... And you can elect- tell you're having way more than you need when you're like peeing out bright with Right, right. Which is what always happens if you take like a a packet of emergency. It's like for S&P. What about electrolytes? Electrolytes. So electrolytes are salts, right? There's salts like sodium. There's salts like potassium salt, calcium salts. And of course we need electrolytes, but electrolytes are in literally everything. You know, any food you have is full of uh, ions, full of electrolytes. So I think if you're eating normally and and probably the the booze you're drinking has electrolytes in it. So I, I don't know how much, you know, drinking exogenous electrolytes whatever. is going to yeah, help. Yeah. And unless Coconut water. you specifically have a problem where you're wasting salts through the kidneys mm-hmm. or you're wasting salts through the GI tract. But it may have, you, the thing I would worry about more with those drinks is the amount of sugar in those right. drinks. Right. Yeah. Mm, so you would say bone broth mm. over coconut water. For sure. Bone broth is going to help so much more. Coconut yeah. water is tasty and it may make you yeah. feel a little bit good, but bone broth so is going to help. So there's more. a little bit... Okay, so the bone broth thing... I'm sorry, we're going to talk about it for two seconds. <laughs> but <laughs> one of my tricks to get my kids to eat more bone broth is I will make like... I'll boil the rice in it. Yeah. Um, I'll boil like pasta in it instead of water. Oh, smart. But then it's like, am I just, is it just like kind of a wash if they're not supposed to be really consuming all this grain and the grain is really contributing to like gut issues and everything else? 
That's a good question. I mean, they're going to eat it anyway. You know what I mean? It's they're kind of like... eat it anyway then. So do you throw away the, the water from the bone broth after? No, I use it instead of water. Yeah. But, so but then do you drain it out and not give them the bone broth? No. So... Like you serve the pasta just on its own. You're draining it after you, after it's been boiled. Right. Like if I could give them just straight bone broth, I will. Sometimes I'll just yeah. make a soup using it, obviously. Yeah. But then if I, you know, if they're having rice or they're having pasta, I'll just boil it. I'll cook it in using the bone broth instead of water. You know, it's a good question how much of the gelatin and collagen are getting into the rice and the pasta. Hmm. Probably some is. Well, when you cook rice, it's all in there. There's no liquid left. Oh, that's true. Oh, right. Yeah. You're not draining the rice. 100%. You're just draining There's the pasta. nothing you don't drain to rice. pour off. Yeah. So that sounds like a great idea. It's pretty good and it tastes yeah. so much better. Yeah. And I prefer okay. rice to pasta again because of just the gluten issues. Right. Yeah. Well, I do like brown rice pasta. Yeah. Okay. Good. Anyway. Gold star for you. Yeah. Thank um, you. <laughs> what about milk thistle? Because I've been fanatical about it for like a couple of years. Yeah, ever milk since thistle's I've heard great for about liver. It, for great liver for function. Liver. So great how are you functioning? I just take it. I take like, what is it? Like 5,000 whatever the units are every yeah. day. Just yeah. like as part of my little supplement regimen. And I don't know. I mean... I know that we did my labs and my liver came back super clean, but I don't know if that's like... You know, I mean, your liver is probably going to come back clean on labs if you don't have a process called fatty liver and you're young and healthy. Right. I don't think it's the milk thistle. Um, Let's pretend. (laughs) But but milk thistle definitely helps liver metabolism if you are sick with anything that, that depends on clearing things through the liver. I think milk thistle is a great supplement. And there are also nice liver blends of supplements that have milk, milk thistle, dandelion, fennel, mm-hmm. other things that can help cleanse the liver that you can get in addition to just to just pure milk thistle. But I think milk thistle is probably not going to help in the acute term. Right. Like it's not going to help the day before for just preventing a hangover. Right. It helps over long periods of time with liver clearance. I just bought some fennel seeds so we can... Um... Sprinkle, sprinkle it on. I mean, I eat so much fennel just like on its own, just like raw or cooked that like, I feel like that's the one supplement that I wouldn't need. But yeah. I guess the seeds, it's much more highly concentrated. So are there yeah. any other foods that are particularly beneficial to, to consume whilst drinking Ooh. or post? I'm going to answer this in the opposite direction that you think I am. Okay. You're not going to say bone broth again? No. <laughs> Did you know that watercress makes you more sensitive to alcohol? Oh, dear no, God. Yeah. I didn't. I just had some and last I night I love watercress. I know. Well, if you're trying to party. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's the speed train? If you're trying to That's get lit, express. have Why? a little watercress salad. Wow. And then have a cocktail because it inhibits this liver enzyme that's responsible for helping liver metabolism. There's a lot of... Uh, there's a ton of liver enzymes. It's called the cytochrome P450 system. And there are a lot of drugs and compounds and plants that either push the metabolism of those liver enzymes or inhibit them. And the one that's responsible for alcohol is inhibited by watercress, even one serving of watercress. Wow. So let's have a salad party. (laughs) Okay, so watercress salad and a martini. Mm -hmm. Okay. Perfect together. Perfect pairing. <laughs> I like that. Okay. What are some other foods? Some other foods that are going to help you metabolize. Or just like good for a hangover, maybe. Other you know good for a hangover? Well, I feel like there's a... The, the two like old wives tales that I know of are scrambled eggs and pickle juice for, for hangovers. Maybe it's the salt. I bet pickle juice because of the salt. The salt, helps. yeah. Scrambled eggs, I'm surprised. But and it was specifically scrambled that I heard. Scrambled Not even- with cilantro? <laughs> no. <laughs> No, wasn't wasn't there something about like the cilantro and the eggs? Cilantro combining? is great for liver disease. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. We learned that from Roland. Oh, and eggs and eggs do bind. I guess that's why they use egg whites in, in like a the fining yeah. process in, in uh, wine. Oh, we are eggs are together. Yeah, we're <laughs> figuring it out, guys. There really is something. Put some cilantro in your scrambled eggs. Yeah, eggs eggs bind heavy metals. Can bind heavy metals in the GI tracts, and they can probably also bind yeast particles. Is probably why they use it in fining. All right. I also heard that you, it's better for you to eat something that's more about protein and fat while you're drinking than carbs. Is that, I mean, that makes sense, right? Because it takes longer to metabolize. Or because you're already taking in a large amount of carbs while you're drinking. Fair. Yeah. Right. So carbs in general, like if we're talking about drinking, because that's obviously like, especially with, you know, people who are super focused on keto, like if you are if you are looking at your carbs, like there's really no good solution for you for alcohol. You just need to kind of steer clear. I, I, I don't think so. I think it's, it's person by person with keto, how much carbs they can tolerate. And you can really just do a very simple experiment if you're trying to stay in ketosis of peeing on these little 
you know, ketosis strips and seeing mm-hmm. if seeing how much how many carbs grams of carbs it takes <laughs> you to so kick glamorous you up. And yeah. easy like to a really high quality of life and like <laughs> yeah. super. Can I have a cocktail while I go pee on this? Super strip, enjoyable. Just yeah, yeah. Just well, you can see if like a one cocktail kind of kicks you out or if not. Oh, it just sounds like such a depressing time in the bathroom. It, yeah, it just doesn't <laughs> like, sound like there's a win there at all. Not if you're a self-experimenter, then it's just all exciting. <laughs> well, that is all exciting. Yeah, that's true. Oh, yeah. I do like those pH strips, which are total BS anyway, right? It's like You're measuring the pH of your urine? Just like the saliva ones. Of your saliva? Mm. Oh, why are you doing that? I mean, I, I did it sometimes. I would do it often just to like, see where my pH was and like after I ate certain foods and how that affected, but it's, it's not really, your saliva is not really the the appropriate indicator of your pH, right? Your internal pH. Yeah. I mean, your pH is pretty, I think when people are talking about the pH that certain foods cause, they're talking about gut pH. Right. Because gut pH does kind of affect things. Your blood pH is very tightly regulated and your blood pH is probably going to be more reflected in your saliva. Um, Your blood pH is really tightly regulated by the kidneys. So by the time all these foods make it to the blood, I don't know how much they're shifting the pH. They're shifting maybe like the electrolyte balance that it takes to manage the pH by your kidneys. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, when people talk about pH, and I do believe that like alkaline foods are a lot better for you than acidic foods. Probably we eat way more acidic acid producing foods uh, in the standard American diet and in modern diets in general. Yeah. But I think that's all about the pH in the gastrointestinal tract. By the right. time it makes it into your body, your, your kidneys kind of manage that process. What, what have we missed? What areas have we missed? We've, missed, we we've got yeah. clear yeah. spirits, good. Brown spirits, bad. Yeah. Red wine, good, but it definitely depends on what it is and what where it it's is. coming from and, and, and how it's made. The French paradox thing probably <laughs> oh, right. overstated how good red wine is. So Mm -hmm. the French paradox was, uh, you know, researchers a long time ago when we thought saturated fat and cholesterol and fat in general was bad for you, kind of like put all these countries on a line and notice, you know, on a line of the amount of fat and saturated fat and cholesterol the culture consumes because of their foods and their heart, their numbers of heart disease. And the French were way low in heart disease despite the fact that they eat all these foods that we used to think are are bad for you. Mm-hmm. And so in trying to explain that difference, uh, researchers decided that it must be red wine that's that's conferring the benefit for heart disease and balancing out all the fat that the French are eating. But now we know that that, that cholesterol, that dietary cholesterol causing high cholesterol and that right. high fat diets causing high cholesterol, that whole thing has been debunked. Maybe for a small subset of people, that's true. Mm-hmm with high saturated fat diets, but not for most people. So I think, and, and the French are years ahead in farming practices, right? Right. They decided not to use like certain right. herbicides that part and of pesticides it, I think is years often ago. overlooked. Right. Like where the food is coming from, how it's growing, yeah. like it's, it's environment before it even becomes consumable is such a huge part of it. That's so, the whole notion of terroir as well, yeah. the French yeah. wine. And it's like funny how you're saying that they're, they're so far ahead when they're really just like, they haven't just adopted kicking it old school. Yeah, yeah. they're kicking it old school. <laughs> yeah. They haven't adopted the practices that we have um, recently. So yeah, but they they do have specific laws that um, yeah that they can't use certain chemicals that we use a ton of here. I mean, yeah. just Europe in general, we're screwed. It's yeah. just we're, like yes. I think cosmetics alone. It's in the U.S. Yes. There are eleven hundred approximately uh, that are banned, and then in Europe there are eleven thousand. Oh wow, Isn't that horrifying. That is crazy. Uh, uh. Anyway, we've covered a lot. Yeah, I was going to ask about like that, the whole idea of like throughout the evening when you're switching alcohol, like is it really bad to go from, I don't know, tequila to whiskey, then to wine and then back to Right, is that a myth to switch between spirits even? I think it's just probably that you're increasing your chances that you're going to get one bad one. You know? like, it also just sounds like you're drinking too much. Yeah, yeah that's also a fair <laughs> also point. Like, you sound like if you have to switch that often, maybe, <laughs> maybe you've had enough. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that that's, I think we've covered everything. I think we've covered I mean, everything. we've certainly covered a lot. I think I've answered a lot of my questions yeah, personally. Absolutely. I mean, one thing we haven't covered is the cancer risk. Oh, that's true. Oh, we're going to bring it down now. Now we're going to get real. Yeah, we're going to get real. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's one of the more serious long-term health consequences of alcohol. Yeah. And it's only certain cancers, right? I think breast cancer is a big one. Breast cancer is the most prevalent, yeah. 
liver cancer, but you have to be a, a heavy drinker to increase your risk of liver cancer. But then that's the highest risk, right? That your, your risk of liver cancer increases fivefold if you're a heavy drinker. Mm. And then cancers of the GI tract and oropharyngeal cancers. So basically anywhere the alcohol is touching. Right. Yeah. So in general, the rule of thumb, I mean, we hear it all the time, but from your point of view, what is the appropriate, reasonable amount um, for women and men on like million, a weekly basis? The so, million dollar question. Yeah. So it's interesting in all the studies on cancer, even moderate drinking in these types of cancers that I mentioned produced a moderate increase. And by moderate increase, I mean somewhere between like 1.2 to 1.8 fold, right? So less than a two-fold increase in the rate of cancer, but even modern, moderate drinking produces some increase in the rates of, of those cancers. Moderate drinking is considered, I think for men, two servings a day and for women, one serving a day. So the the only amount of alcohol that the National Cancer Association has said is re- provides no risk is zero alcohol. Right, right. That's kind of their job to say that. Yeah, and they they have listed alcohol as a known carcinogen. Right. Right. So, okay. On that note, the other question that I have about just uh, consumption, um, the healthy amount, what's unhealthy, is it, and I know you kind of just answered it, but are are you better off being like a weekend warrior or are you better off just having like a more frequent and low dose, shall we say, of alcohol? So like... If you... So the term warrior scares me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I, I will preface Adonis. this. <laughs> well, I'm Greek. I would like to be the god of... So there's, you know, I, I'm definitely not a weekend warrior because I, yeah, I don't really like extremes that much, but it's like you know, are you better off just like the people who, who don't drink all week and then they go crazy on the weekend. Like they just got out of jail and they get like so shit <laughs> I think it's called binging. Binging, yeah. right. But you know, binging for them, it might be like four drinks on Saturday, four drinks on Sunday, and then they drink nothing all week. Or is it better to have like... Have a low level consumption all the time. Yeah, like a glass or two uh, a day, every single day of your life. Yeah, I think in terms of cancer risk, it does amount to... Uh, both duration and how much you drink over the course of your life. So I guess if the total is less with binging, if you're really only drinking four drinks a night when you're binging right. on two nights a week, right. then maybe it's better than drinking 14 drinks in a week. Right. Oh yeah, that does sound like a lot more, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know All what right. the definition of an alcoholic is? I heard that drinking it can be more than your doctor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cough it up. Let's have it. What do you got? I'm going to place my bet right now. I think I know. <laughs> Drinks more. <laughs> but I will say, listen, I had like a five-year stint of just like not consuming anything. between, That's right. Except preg- for kombucha. Pregnancy and breastfeeding. Ugh. The sobriety. <laughs> just, I'm done with that for a minute. <laughs> Should I talk about some of the health benefits of alcohol? Oh, yes, good God. Please. Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. I don't, you know, we don't really talk about the health benefits of alcohol because again, I think they're overstated, A, and B. You don't want anybody to hang their hat on that. Yeah. Nobody's going to tell you to start drinking right. to like improve your health. And in medicine, you know, you always kind of have to protect the most vulnerable populations first with alcohol. These are like these people that are just going to be addicted even if they have one drink, right? We all know these people who have to like be an A for life just to be able to abstain because one drink will ruin their life. So, you know, we have to protect those populations first, but so we don't really talk about it in public health or in, or in medicine, but there are some modest benefits. There's a modest benefit for heart disease, unless you're a really heavy drinker and then it goes the other way. Right. And there's a modest be- modest benefit for heart disease because of both uh, atherosclerosis, which is like that gunking up of the arteries Mm. and coagulability. So it helps keep the blood a little bit thinner. Actually, it keeps platelets from clumping alcohol. Oh, so that's good for me because I'm like a cardiovascular nightmare. Oh, really? Yeah. You don't look like one. I had like both of my parents had aneurysms. Oh, I have a lot, like there's like clotting sh- stroke history. I had to take blood thinners while I was pregnant. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, okay. So for me, yeah, maybe. For you, <laughs> for you, it might be a good thing. Yeah. And then I guess for people with iron deficiencies. Here. Yeah. Mm, drinking, drinking can help you absorb, a little bit of alcohol can help you absorb iron from a meal. 
So, hmm. but I wouldn't recommend that every, you know, a lot of women across the board put iron in their supplements and hmm. think that they're iron deficient without measuring it. I think, you know, although iron deficiency is more common in women because they're losing iron monthly, right. um, it's not, you can't just assume that everyone has an iron deficiency without measuring it. Iron overload is a problem for a lot of people and iron overload just as harmful. You can, you can increase your risk for diabetes and metabolic disorders, weight loss resistance. It's really constipating too, isn't it? Iron, iron supplements. Overload, yeah. Iron supplements are you can you can find iron, iron supplements that aren't constipating. There's like liposomal iron, which is attached to a nanoparticle, and then and then iron that's attached to a heme molecule, so the 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 blood molecule that carries iron. So heme iron typically isn't constipating. Hmm. But yeah, if you do have a known iron deficiency, drinking maybe a little bit with a meal is a, is going to be a good thing for you with an iron rich meal. Amen. Yeah. All right, and let's talk about just as I like to say, solace of the mind. Yes. Just general contentedness. Yeah. If, Something to be said. If Yeah, definitely. If drinking produces stress relief for you, then there will, of course, be a myriad health benefits that are downstream from that. I think so. I think that's a great note to end on. <laughs> <laughs> end on a positive, right? That sounds good. We talked about the cancer and then we talked about the benefits. Should we all go have a drink? I know. It's 11 it's in the morning. Thanks for listening to HTW. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and make sure and rate us on iTunes. You can even give us five whole stars if you think we deserve it. If you have ideas for guests or topics, you can call our 1-800 number. Yes, we have a 1-800 number at 800-674-1839 or holler at us on social at HTW Podcast. You can also head to our website at htwpodcast.com for more episode info and check out our Daily Blend blog to see what we're drinking.